0: The king or the ruler of this air, the ruler of this kingdom here on earth. that's tainted by sin. Isn't just going to say, you you know, you're going to get up and go, Oh, I figured it out my life matters because God loves me. And now I'm this recipient of his love. Well, from that moment on until the day you die, he's going to spend every conscious moment you have trying to convince you that that truth is not true.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. The Salty Pastor is designed to help you grow in your faith. We create context, we create Inspiration. We Mm -hmm. create the environment of learning and discovery. But in the end, it is up to you to start your journey of faith Mm -hmm. and do the work. My name is Jesse Mayer, and we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas
0: (laughs) P. Hey, everybody. Good to be here with you today. We are in a really great study. We're digging into the book of Ephesians a little bit, but we're also going to be bouncing around, you know, to other areas throughout this whole series. But I'm pretty excited about this your life matters? Because I think it's a huge question that everybody needs to answer uh, why their life matters. They need to know the answer to this question for themselves.
1: So we are in this new series. I think people really received it well on Sunday. I had a lot of people coming out really excited about what we were talking about Mm -hmm. and what you were preaching about. Um, We're learning some new things. But I mean, ultimately, kind of the main idea is we know that people do better when they know that their life matters. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately the self-help ap- help approach isn't seem <laughs> to be working for most people, you know, they're throwing all these different advices out, but ultimately people just kind of end up back where they started. Yeah. yeah. And then we, we spent the last 30 years telling kids as they grow up that their lives matter, but more and more the lives. It, it's kind of like it's shifting and it's like, well, only certain lives matter or yeah. your or life don't. doesn't matter because. Yeah. You're actually just a speck of cosmic dust floating through the world, (laughs) and so you're not special. You're just here, and you might as well do something. You know what I mean? It's like that's kind of the vibe that the culture is giving is, you know, depending on what your belief system is or what the current cultural context is, it's like your life only matters in certain situations or in some situations. Nobody's life matters, and it's all just... Nothing.
0: Well, and I think that's the biggest issue, the biggest problem, because the bottom line is you can tell kids all day long, your life matters. You have value. You're important. You're this, you're that, but the, what happens is human nature. And this is what's fascinating to me is that this has all been researched and the literature on this is crystal clear. There's, and that is, is that your self worth your sense of value to yourself is based on competency. It isn't, it isn't possible to know you matter unless you are something that matters. Like for instance, you could tell kids, man, you're a great athlete. You're a great athlete. You're really good. You can do whatever you want. And then they go out there and they get on a sports team and they strike out, you know, and they realize, well, wait a second, I'm not any good at this. Uh, it's like saying, "Boy, you're a, you're a warrior." You know, we tell all these people, "You're warriors, and you can conquer, and you can do all this stuff." And then you get in the military and realize, "I can't fight. I can't. I can't do that hike. I can't carry this eighty pound back backpack and and a hundred pounds of ammo. I can't do that." Right. Uh, we tell people, "Look, you know, uh, pursue your dreams, and you're artistic and creative and wonderful and beautiful." And so you join the choir, and you can't sing. That was that was my issue by the way when I was growing <laughs> up. I wanna be in the choir, it's so cool and I get on there and go, You you you, I keep telling the worship team that they should have you up there. And for some reason, all. they just
1: don't seem to respond to that email pastor. Well, it's That's because I
0: usually sit on the front row and sing. So they've <laughs> heard me sing, you know, but you can work for a company and go, Oh, do whatever you want. Pursue your dreams. Just believe in yourself, you know, so you work for a company or a business, but you can't contribute because the only reason you're there is because you're the owner's son or daughter. Hmm. See, everybody knows this and the literature is clear on this and our society ignores it constantly. And that is your sense of value has to be built on a foundation of some truth. And that you, you pointed this out and that is, is that we tell people your value, your life matters, and then we turn around and we knock out the foundation. We knock everything out. That allows you to experience that your life matters by telling kids, believe whatever you want, whatever you believe is, is fine. There's no difference between values and principles and cultures. There's absolutely zero difference. Everything is equally the same. Okay. Well. What you've basically done is said your life matters, but we're going to take away any reason or sense of competency or context in which you can determine your life matters. So have fun. And that's why so many kids grow up today wondering w- what's going on. They, they this, they have not been prepared by their parents or by their society to live in the world that they actually will live in as adults. Right. And it's that incongruence, it's that inability to line it up where all this anxiety, all this depression, all of this hopelessness, and as you said, meaningless comes from, so you have to answer the question, your life matters, but you have to answer it honestly and truthfully based on reality. If you just make it up, it's just a pipe dream that never comes to fruition.
1: So, I mean. It's last week we really discovered we matter because we're loved by God, yes. right? And, mm-hmm. and our purpose is to be recipients of God's love in our lives, evidenced by what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. So he came, he walked among us, he died on the cross in our place, he rose from the dead, and this was God's plan from the beginning to save us because he loves us. That is why our lives matter. Is that, yeah, is yeah. that a good summary? Well,
0: yeah, that, exactly. And what's important to understand about that is that it's not a static one-time thing, Right. Uh, you know, there was this guy who went and bought a radio. This was a long time and he tuned it into the Grand Ole Opry and then he took the knobs off and just left it there (laughs) forever. Yeah. You know, or the other story about the guy who says, you know, I told my wife once I loved her, if anything changes, I'll let her know. (laughs) (laughs) So that, and a lot of people treat their sense of value or the fact that they're loved by God as a static thing. You know, Oh God told me that, or I've sensed that, you know, 20 years ago. But your life matters and continues to matter because God is actively loving you each and every day. It's my choice each and every day, whether I live in his love or not. So let me say that again. Your life matters and continues to matter to you because God is actively loving you each and every day. And it's your choice, whether you will live in his love or not.
1: So I want to kind of restate some of the biblical principles you've laid out for us. Every person has an origin story Mm -hmm. that they believe in the depth of their soul. Right. Mm -hmm. And we choose the origin story that we believe. And that choice is where our identity Mm -hmm. comes from. Whether we believe our lives matter or not, that choice is what kind of dictates that. Yes. And so the origin story in the Bible is that your life matters because God created you to be loved by him. Mm So where does it go from this point? How does knowing this, believing this, this truth that we're told in the Bible, create a conviction that our lives matter?
0: Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do is trying to get people to not only answer the question, does your life matter? Yes, my life matters. But they can all say, and this is why. It's not just, oh, I want it to, it's. I have a conviction in my soul as to why my life Mm. matters. So we need to continue on Paul's letter in Ephesians in chapter one, he lays out the origin story for all human beings. And he talks about at the end of that, well, when you choose to believe, when you heard the message of truth, that's when you become a part of it. Then in chapter two, what he does is he says, now this is what God does in you specifically as an individual when you choose to believe. Okay. And it ends with verse 10, this, this first chunk of chapter two kind of describes it for the individual. And it ends with verse 10 and verse 10 says that we are God's handiwork or workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God is loving me right and every day, pouring his love into me for a purpose. And that purpose is what helps me realize, experience, and understand why my life matters. So to give us a synopsis of this kind of point in verses one through 10 is that God's love is poured into you to bring you to life and your new life becomes a vessel of God's love in the world. So that's why your life matters. And that's why God is loving you and verses one through nine tells us how we get to that point. Okay. So in verse one, it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So he starts off by saying, is that every human being, right? Because, and I talked about this last week, every human being lives in a tainted world it has been tainted by sin. We cannot even imagine or fathom the extent of what this taint does to us and to the world in which we Live and because we live in this world, we're dead. You see, we are spiritually dead and spiritually dead has massive implications on you intellectually, emotionally, and physically. And so that's because the ruler of this air is propagating this taint, fanning the flames of the taint and trying to, you know, spread the taint as much as possible. So anytime anybody does anything evil or anything wrong or sinful or rebellious or hateful, it spreads and increases the taint, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So look at verse three. He says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. So what he says here is that everybody was dead in their transgressions and sins and we lived in our desires and thoughts as based upon the world and Satan who is the king of this air the ruler of the kingdom of this air uh his desires and what he's trying to uh get us to do and to become so everybody is dead and everybody needs to be brought back to life He says by nature, because of the taint, we're deserving of judgment. We're deserving of wrath. That's what we deserve. So uh, oftentimes I am asked by people who come to me and say, well, you know, I want to know what does God do with people who are really, really good. And I go, well, what do you mean by that? And he says, or she will say, well, I have some friends and they're just the best people ever, you know, but they just don't believe in God, you know, so are those people going to hell and I go. Oh, I see what you're asking me. So I said, how do you know they're really, really good? How do you know that? Well, are you God? Do you? And the point is, is because of the taint is no one is really, really, really good. Right. (laughs) Nobody's really, really, really good. Everybody falls short. And that's, what's really important to understand is that we're all in the same boat. And this it doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your wealth, what language you speak. It doesn't matter what you value or don't value. Everything falls short of being, as it said in the last chapter, holy and blameless before his sight. Mm. Okay. So everyone's dead and needs to be brought back to life. Look at verse four. And then here's where you see the shift. He goes, okay, my, the first thing in order for me to experience God's love and how I'm his handiwork, I got to first realize. I fall short and I'm deserving of wrath because I've been deceived and I've been operating in a worldly mindset, which is filled and tainted with evil and sin. Right. Right. And he says, but in verse four, he says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Jesus. Even when we were dead in transgressions for it is by grace, you have been saved. So what's amazing is that even though that's what we deserve, and all humanity is deserved. God, for the last you know ten thousand years or hundred, however long people have walked the earth, guess what? He has been in the process since Adam of Eve, uh, loving people and trying to redeem them. It says it, because of his great love for us, then Jesus comes. We've been made alive with Christ. So it's with Christ. It's in Christ. It's in Jesus where we are made alive. And then he says, this is an act of grace on God's part. So it's not something I deserve or something that I work for, but it's, this is God's activity. Mm. And then in verse six, it says, then God, because he made us alive, he raised us up with Jesus and he seated you and I with him in the heavenly realms. In Christ Jesus. So Jesus was raised from the dead in the same way that becomes the exact pattern for every human being that God saves everybody who chooses to receive his love and walk in his love. You're redeemed and made alive with Jesus, just like the resurrection and seated with him in the heavenly realms. And that is a powerful, powerful promise. Now, why does he do that? Verse seven says. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. So every time he saves somebody, every time we experience the love of God, every time a life is transformed, guess what happens? It is a example of how rich his grace is, how powerful his love is and how immensely healing and redeeming and saving his love is in Your life. And so that's really so important. He then says in verse eight, it is by grace. You have been saved through faith. So God's grace is what saves me, right? It's his activity. It's the redemption of Jesus Christ because he died on the cross for my sins. I, I, I couldn't cause that right. But the way that I receive that is through the conduit of my faith. And that's why your faith is so important. And that's why we here at the salty pastor are always saying it's your faith. It's not our faith. You need, you need to do something about your faith, right? <laughs> we can't do it for you. Right. And so what he's talking about in this situation is that we are saved by grace through faith. So faith is the conduit. It moves through faith, right? And he says, this salvation is not from you. All right. It is a gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. So your faith doesn't cause it to happen. It's already happened. It's there. And it's like opening up the door. It's kind of, uh, you know, I guess the best way to illustrate it is. You are in a submarine and you're underwater. And so what do you do? You open the hatch. Right. And yes. And then what happens? And it's all, all all that pressure is just waiting to come in, but it can't until you turn the dot, you know, the big handle and then open up the hatch and then what's going to do, it's going to rush in. You didn't cause the pressure. You didn't cause it to rush in, but you had to open the door. Does that make sense? Right. So it's similar to that. And now once I do that. I have received through faith, the salvific work of God in my life. He goes, verse 10, this is why we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the process to get there is I must realize I'm dead in my transgressions and sins, and I need to be made alive with Jesus. I can't cause my resurrection. But through my faith, which is when I heard the gospel of truth, I believed. So it's that choice. Faith is about choosing the origin story you're going to believe. And once that happens, then the love of God rushes into your life and starts to transform you. And it's in that transformation where you see the handiwork of God.
1: So in order for us to experience the power and provision of God's handiwork, yeah i mean a, a ton of stuff really had to take place first right yeah and I first
0: mean, first chapters that and then all of this is going on right exactly like
1: all of these different phases so when jesus has made us alive and and we're seated with him in the heavenly realms does that mean just We're all good problems. Go away. We're, we're perfect and nothing else to worry about. Right? Like it's, he did all this work. We're good then. Right. It's all easy from here. Well, if I I
0: can quote Dr. Evil, how about no, (laughs) (laughs) well, this is a seminal point. This is a very critical point. And I think, you know, when you look at your origin story and you're trying to figure out why your life matters, you've really got to figure this out. Okay. Because what happens is. Is the king or the ruler of this air, the ruler of this kingdom here on earth. That's tainted by sin. Isn't just going to say, you you know, you're going to get up and go, Oh, I figured it out my life matters because God loves me. And now I'm this recipient of his love. Well, from that moment on until the day you die, he's going to spend every conscious moment you have trying to convince you that that truth is not true. It's a, it's, this is the imagery that happens in the creation account, right? In in the garden of Eden, when they were given the garden, they had everything they needed. It was perfect. They were holy and blameless before God. They walked with God and the, you know, every evening, it was just an incredible thing. It's Eden, you know, it's like, wow, utopia, that's it. It was right. there. And so what happens is Satan shows up and what does he try to do? He deceives them and, or convinces them that God wasn't really being forthcoming or complete. And so they chose to, they chose that's critically important and they chose against God and then they became aware, right. Of good and evil. So they, when it says they became aware of good and evil, what they did is that we, and a lot of people don't like this answer. We created evil. God didn't create evil. Mm. We created it. Because of our own free will and we invited it, and in. ever since then the world has been tainted and it has massive ramifications. It says in Romans chapter one, that, that it impacts the very creation, you know, I mean, in overall sense, uh, you know, that's why there's sickness and tornadoes and all that kind of stuff. It's not because Joe over there, the farmer sinned. And so the tornado came through and tore it up, but the creation is out of balance and it's out of balance. Because every human being has sinned and nobody's really, really, really good. Mm. Nobody is. And that's why. So, uh, the seminal point is we are made alive in Jesus. So we now receive the Holy spirit as a deposit of what is to come. But in the interim between now, when I realize, oh, my life matters because God loves me and I want to receive his love. I believe this origin story of who I am and why I'm created. Right. And then he's going to now Satan is going to live every single of my waking moments, trying to convince me that that truth is not true. Just like he was trying to convince Adam and Eve that being holy and blameless before God's sight wasn't enough. Mm. Okay. And so in, I need to now live each day, attempting to grow in God's love for me. I know I'm going to continue to make mistakes. I'm going to continue to fall down, but now I have a promise. I have a hope. I have encouragement, the inspiration to get back up no matter what. Why? Because God loves me and the love of God. Just doesn't, isn't out there, him loving, but it now indwells me it's in me right now. And so I have not just the inspiration to get back up, but I have the power to get back up. You see, we make mistakes. We make bad choices. We do wrong things all the time. But if you break it down, it usually happens in one of three ways. Okay. The first way is we are enticed by our own lusts. And this is what James talks about. He says, first you're tempted and what he does is we're tempted and then our lusts or desires entice us, Mm. right? So we're carried away by that. And so we make a mistake or we make a really bad choice. The other way that we make a mistake or really bad choice is we're deceived, right? We think something's true, but it's not really true. And then the third way in which we make mistakes is we overcorrect. When we get hurt or offended, or there's an injustice against us serve, you know, it's the kind of thing where you're driving down the highway, you know, and you're really, really tired and you're thinking, I can't fall asleep. I can't fall asleep. I can't fall asleep. And suddenly you hear the tires driving on those grooves, the rumble strips, and it's going, and you go, oh my gosh, I fell asleep. And you wake up. And what do you do? You jerk the wheel, overcorrect, overcorrect. And and 90% of accidents on the freeway are caused by overcorrection. It's overcorrection, not, oh, just a gentle coming back onto the freeway. You overcorrect and then you're going so fast it flips the car. And that's what happens. A lot of single car accidents are due to overcorrection. So what, what that basically means is the goal of walking in God's love and letting him transform my life each and every day is learning how to influence these things that get me off track, for instance, walking in the love of God and letting him love me each and every day is helping me to establish boundaries. So I'm not enticed by lust. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I, I set boundaries for myself. Now your boundaries are different than mine, you know, because the things that you might lust after totally different than mine. Right. And so that's why legalism tends not to work, right? You set a rule for everybody. Well. You know, your, your enticement might be totally different than mine. Right. right? And so then what happens is because we set a rule, it's like, well, since your enticement has nothing to do with that rule, it's easy for you to keep it. So you're more spiritual than me. Right. Right. But maybe not. You see what I'm saying? Is that, so that's why boundaries have to be discussed, but unique to each person. Mm -hmm. Number two is that's how you get by being enticed by your lust. The second one is deceived, right? Uh, we're easily deceived. We're gullible people. We really are. I know I am. Mm. And so that's why you have to pursue truth, read the scriptures, pray, because the more I do that, the more I see the purity of God's love in my life. And guess what happens? It keeps me from being deceived. You can see deception when it happens. And then finally. How do I stop from overcorrecting when I get hurt or offended or insulted or somebody does an injustice against me? Well, is I have to learn to live in grace and walk in mercy. I have to learn to forgive. That's how I can control anger and it helps me from overcorrecting. And here's the beauty of this whole thing. I think this is what's so important is that your life matters because God loves you and he just doesn't love you, but he's actually, his love is doing something in you, it's taking you from death to life. And then what it's doing is it's helping you each and every day grow stronger, Mm. uh, more centered on a firm foundation. So not only can you face problems and issues, whenever you make a mistake, you can get lifted back up. This is what it means when it says you are his handiwork. You see, even if I fall, the love of Jesus restores me. So there's a win-win God's love. Each and every day is growing me, protecting me, strengthening me, molding me and shaping me. And this is why I'm his handiwork. Wow. What a great win. But what if I make a mistake? What if I fail? What if I fall down? Well, guess what? His love for me and in me restores me, it redeems me, it heals me. And this is even why my failures become an opportunity for Jesus to reflect his handiwork. So now I'm his handiwork, even in my failures. Mm. And so it's a win-win across the board. So you matter to God because not only does he love you, but his love is making, taking you from death to life. Each and every day.
1: Well, I think that's really eye-opening because as we as we further explore why our lives matter, these steps kind of of understanding why yes. are really important because it's yes, like like you said, children even adults could be told constantly, "Your life matters. Your life matters. Your life matters." But until they really believe it in their soul and they have that that truth down there, it doesn't really take right. It's right. just words. Exactly. So. We just really appreciate you sharing um, from scriptures with us today, uh, Doug, and just moving us towards an, a better understanding. So, thank you guys so much for joining us in this discussion. Make sure you are discussing this. Reread these these verses that Pastor Doug went through today, because rereading them re with this new um, insight on them really helps you solidify those things and then discussing them with somebody in your house, one of your friends, whatever, um, really trying to understand where their values come from and Mm -hmm. what they believe about their life. And that's what's going to really start making changes in your life and the people around you. So thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time here on The Salty Pastor.
0: Blessings.